0: From the New York office of Oxford University Press, this is the Oxford Comment, a monthly podcast featuring Oxford University Press authors, editors, and more. My name's Nicole, multimedia producer, and our host for this episode is Anita Lamb, the associate professor at York University in Toronto, Canada. The identity of the gangster has always been complex. Through films and even television shows, the exact definition of the gangster remains unclear. So, with the help of Anita, we turned to a panel of experts to better explore the historical genre of the gangster.
1: So, I'm Anita Lam. I'm an Associate Professor of Criminology in the Department of Social Science at York University, which is located in Toronto, Canada. I'm very pleased to be discussing gangster films with my two panelists, uh, Dr. Karen Fang, Uh, Professor Fang is an associate professor of English at the University of Houston. She is the author of John Wu's A Better Tomorrow and the recently released Arresting Cinema, Surveillance in Hong Kong film. I'm also very pleased to welcome Professor Peter Stanfield, who teaches in the film and media programs at the University of Kent's School of Arts. He is a contributor and co-editor of Mob Culture, Hidden Histories of the American Gangster Film. And we can also look forward to Peter's forthcoming book titled Hoodlum Movies, which will investigate seriality and the cycle of outlaw biker films. And so what we're going to do today is, I think, talk about some of the, I think issues and themes and narratives that arise from the gangster film genre, and so perhaps one way that we might start discussing the gangster film genre is to think through some of the ways in which the genre has been defined. And so, the classic definition of a gangster film has revolved around the rise and inevitable fall of an immigrant gangster protagonist. And this classic definition, however, has been expanded, retracted, and changed over time so that the genre itself, while distinct, has had some very flexible boundaries. And so perhaps one of the first questions we might tackle uh, as a panel is, well, what exactly makes a film a gangster film? And so are gangster films just crime or action films that happen to feature mobsters? Or is there something very distinct in terms of the scenes and recurring images and narratives that make up a film? that is recognized as one that belongs in
2: the gangster film genre? I mean, I think what, what, one of the things is important to recognize is that the, the, the etymology of gangster changes massively over time, uh, quite considerably over time. And um, the one we have today, I think, is very much a, a product of the 1930s, but, but, but essentially, Uh, of the 1950s, with the idea that it's somebody who works within organized crime. And for me, the defining characteristic of the gangster, at least the contemporary uh, versions, uh, has to be that they're um, somehow connected to a crime syndicate.
0: The Warshaw essay, which Anita, you mentioned also in your essay, right, which is such a classic essay defining the genre, right, sort of identifies the genre or the formula of having sort of, a, you know, not only just the crime syndicate as Peter talks about, but, you know, an urban setting, and then that arc and the narrative arc of the rise and the fall of usually a sort of self-made individual, right, through, through their affiliation with organized crime. And then I think one of the, you know, if those are sort of structural attributes of the genre, one of the thing that, things that distinguishes a gangster film from just any movie about organized crime usually is that there's the importance of the group identity and group motivations. Right or the the individual's relationship to the group, which sort of is uh, instrumental to you, the sort of gangster identity, gangster theme of the the theme of the genre, the formula.
2: Well, just the same to say, in in terms of if one's thinking of it in terms of genre, then what makes the gangster film different from uh, say the noir or crime, crime film is that that is that right. often about individual protagonists, um, whereas uh, the gangster film clearly is defined by his by his uh, membership to to a group,
0: right. So whether it's the family in a mafia movie or the hood in the gangster movies, gangster rap movies later, right. It's always that. As Peter says a relationship of the individual to the group.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, so in in a, in a noir film or the triad, the, the great the structuring absence is is always the family. There is no family. There is no children. Um, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's, it's it's a clear distinction I think that can be made between one type of uh, crime movie and uh, and one that deals with um, organized crime. All
1: right, so we have group identity, and we have not only group identity, but the idea that the gangster film might speak to not only the rules for forming groups and maintaining groups, but against some of the more conventional rules that allow societies to exist. So I'm wondering if we might think about uh, some of the themes of the gangster films that are related to the ways in which uh, gangsters themselves as individuals and as members in a group might play with the rules in society so, like sometimes when it comes to just dressing up because uh, male gangsters are notable for being stylish right so there's sartorial display here can be connected to these historical configurations and representations of masculinity. And I know, Peter, you've written about the hat. Yeah. And the hat as a symbol (laughs) of male authority and legitimacy, and how perhaps tracking the hat over time and across different gangster movies can tell us about how these male gangsters are Conceiving of or reconceiving of the rules and norms around masculinity in larger society.
2: Right. In the beginning of the of the canonical uh, um, set of uh, gangster movies in um, Public Enemy and, and Scarface, what, what we see is, uh, is set sequences where we, we see them um, acquiring new clothes, new threads, and what's always clear right from the get-go is that they don't really have the cultural capital that's going to they they don't understand taste and style and and so that they overdo it they over display uh, their newfound wealth and so there there's a density rather um, uh, gaudy and over um, the kind of refinement becomes lost and you can see this carrying on right the way through you can see it in the kind of uh, Scorsese's uh, obsession with 1970s style in, in, in *Casino*, but um, but also in say uh, uh, *Ridley Scott's American Gangster*, where the gangster only becomes visible once he starts to dress up like a gangster should dress up—that is, in furs and and f- fine uh, ostentatious clothes. So it's 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 a it's a given, if you like, all the way through that um, the gangster's success is marked out. Um, externally in terms of the way that they um, dress and present themselves
0: what's interesting a lot of times is, as Peter says, you know, it, there's this always this passage, you know, fairly early on in the film as the gangster starts making it, right, when they have a sort of moment of upward mobility. And so the film usually has this moment. It's usually often a sort of montage, right, where it's just sort of, you know, music layered over these, these scenes of consumption, right? And so it's, it's sort of celebrating their success, but also sort of exposing, as Peter said, this sort of, like, failure to totally pass. You know, as um, a sort of new as, as bourgeois because their taste is sort of excessive. And then, of course, um, um, what's interesting is oftentimes, you know, the the glamour of the gangster becomes so commercially successful itself as a phenomenon, right? It spreads out of the movie into cultural consumption itself, right? So the famous case in Hong Kong from A Better Tomorrow is is all of these, you know, all of the, um, in 1986 when the movie came out, everybody was just sort of suddenly rushing out and buying all of these, you know, raincoats and overcoats and dusters to emulate Mark IV from that film. So, you know, the, the fashion, fashion fashion, as a form of identity and affiliation and distinction is, is again, as you were, as recognized, is sort of a crucial distinction sort of attribute as a genre that has, is also a sign of the sort of, uh, the genre's influence
1: in popular culture. Okay, so we have group identity and individual identity being tied to uh, the way conspicuous consumption helps to, I think, project the gangster's aspired self, but the gangster's identity is also tied to place and in particular the city. So, as we previously mentioned, Robert Warshaw's influential essay. The Gangster is Tragic Hero, War Show is very clear when he says that the gangster is the man of the city. And so the city here, uh, in 1930s classic film, with its tenements, saloons, and nightclubs, plays a role in gangster films. And I'm wondering, Peter, since you've also written about Chinatown, um, if you might want to speak a little about how these gangster films not only produce a, an image of a stylish male gangster, but also help produce these fictional ganglands in America.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it, it's interesting how the gangster film is, is so often, uh, it's not just a, an American story, but it's a New York story or a Los Angeles story or a Chicago story or a Boston story. they they often really quite specific about place and about the city that they're set in. And obviously that has something to do with, uh, the, um, the histories of migration, whether it's, you know, uh, Irish gangsters in 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 Boston or Italian gangsters in New York or Chinese uh, Chinese gangsters in in Chinatown and um, Chinatown's really a, it, a really interesting narratives because uh, Chinatown is set in America and yet it's not America and that's the way that it, it, it kind of plays out I think too in say, Scorsese's Mean Streets in Little Italy. It seems very much part of America yet separate from it as as well and I think that's the 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 key thing is just these narratives of um, assimilation, but also um, segregation and Chinatown Mm -hmm. just plays that up Maximizes that convention. I think in a way so it makes it it's it's very very visible Mm -hmm. Um, and and so but even though you're 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 Setting your story in this uh, distinct space. It's always about the blurring of the boundaries between Um, ethnic groups racial groups uh, across gender and and Most certainly across class the American gangster film. It seems to me speaks most eloquently about class distinctions, but um, that's something we might look at
1: The class distinctions and part of talking about class distinctions is through um, Not only tying the gangster film to specific places Uh, But also how those places are themselves tied to class because many of the big three classic Hollywood gangster films, namely The Public Enemy, Scarface, and Little Caesar, take place in the slums of American cities. And so what's interesting about that is how those early Hollywood explanations of criminal activity aligned so well with the Chicago School of Sociology. And so the Chicago School of Sociology had also emphasized that criminal behaviors were tied and caused by neighborhood disintegration and poverty and immigration in America's inner cities. So Karen, when it comes to Hong Kong triad films, are environmental mm-hmm. explanations
0: a part of underlying are they uh, the again
1: yeah are they as crucial to potentially explaining gangsters and their criminal behaviors are Hong Kong gangsters also men of the city
0: the, the Hong Kong gangster film tradition right is it, it has taken on it, it has such a richness in history and it's very interesting because you know as I've written about right so much of what Um, outsiders think of as the sort of quintessential Hong Kong gangster film is John Wee's A Better Tomorrow, but that, which is absolutely true, it really does spawn a whole cycle of imitations, but both prior to that 1986 film, there was a bunch of movies like in Hong Kong film in the 60s and the 70s were very much interested in like the effect of poverty on urban life, um, in the tradition of social realism in Cantonese filmmaking, um, which one could argue it doesn't necessarily directly influence Wu's Sheng Pen. it certainly, the gangster film, it certainly influences Cantonese filmmaking. And then, um, again, in um, the late, uh, early 90s, the Young and Dangerous um, series by Andrew Lau, which is sort of um, a sort of uh, realist uh, deconstruction of the gangster genre, where he sort of, you know, tries to work against the sort of like, very star-oriented legacy of John Woo and cha and that, and in the Young and Dangerous series, again, it's very much situated in the um, housing projects of Hong Kong and the, condition, the experience of, of youth who can't get jobs and for whom the triads um, provide an immediate form of identity. So there, um, there is a longer history of the gangster genre and of social realism in, in Hong Kong Cantonese filmmaking, which has been very much Interested in or concerned with the sort of absence of social welfare institutions to um, protect um, uh, the use or the dis- uh, vulnerable populations and the ways in which the triads become available, you know, to these populations as both a form of ident- identity, as family, and as a form of employment. Um, So there's a Hong Kong, I would say, would be sort of very, very much an analogous case to what you're talking about, where the cinema provides its own um, sociology or criminology in its in its cinematic archives.
1: I think the other thing that uh, has often been alleged uh, is that gangster films also either reflect or produce certain stereotypes about the ethnic or racial communities that might be most likely involved in organized crime, that they strengthen these associations between criminality and racial difference. And so I guess we can, I'll give you the example of The Godfather, uh, as that usually is the one that comes up, so that in the 1970s, when The Godfather was being filmed in New York City, Uh, the film crew experienced some resistance from the Italian American Civil Rights League, where the League had claimed that The Godfather was producing a very negative stereotype that linked Italian Americans to crime. So do you think gangster films help contribute to these kinds of racial stereotypes?
2: It's not all um all uh, necessarily negative. I mean, in part because uh, it's what the audience themselves would, would do with the, the film. So you might get a, a protest group or pressure group within the Italian community pushing against uh, 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 that those representations. On the other hand, you might get a group within the Italian community, particularly among the younger yeah. film going audience, that absolutely uh, celebrates and embraces that, uh, that image of criminality um so you might one kind of uh, a filmic version of this would be john travolta's character in saturday night fever and his um hero worshiping of al pacino and and you can mm-hmm. see a kind of similarity in the way that he is um obsessed with self presentation and, and uh, clothes and um making making a mark stepping out of his his class Having, having said that, you can see something similar going on with the um, black exploitation gangster movies of the, the 1970s, which are nearly always in uh, kind of discussion the earlier mafia na- narratives, and so um, they're, they're kind of marking themselves out against the Italians as they define themselves and and, and who who owns and controls the streets. So yeah, I, I do think right from the very beginning the um, Italians. Uh, 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 Italian-Americans have been badly represented <laughs> but um, but uh, I think it's um, it, it's it, one would be uh, foolish just to see it in negative terms.
0: As Peter points out a lot of times you know these stereotypes at the same time they're, they're stereotypes right they're enabling for some of the populations that are being represented. Um, the other the flip side of that is you know the, these movies may otherize, you know, they might embrace their otherness of the minority who finds their mm-hmm. identity, uh, identity in the gang, with the Irish Americans, the Italian Americans, right, or the African Americans. But a lot of times, these films also engage in their otherizing of other populations, right? So I'm thinking of that. I think it, it might be the opening scene or the early scene in Boys to Men, right, in the Korean-run convenience store. Right, which is sort of, you know, staging this yeah. sort of, you know, key side of racial conflict in the not, early 90s, right, or between African Americans and Korean Americans, right? And, you know, I would argue that the representation, you know, of, of the Korean American couple in that scene is, is, is not a very... you know, super sympathetic Mm -hmm. portrait. And so, you know, I think that a lot of, uh, you know, these films, you know, may be enabling for one minority population, but there are other minorities sometimes who lose out, you know, in these representations. And then another example of sort of, a very recent example of stereotyping that's just very interesting is, you know, that movie All Eyes on Me that about um, Tupac Shakur that just came out. That movie is really interesting because it's trying to, you know, explore this mythology of Tupac Shakur and his relationship to gangster rap and, you know, the events mm-hmm. leading up to his unsolved, you know, murder and everything. But at the same time, the film is, you know, obviously trying to explore this charismatic individual and and um, convey a degree of complexity to him. There are also this this desire on the part of the film to rep- reprise this typical gangster Film formula, and so there are these long passages in the film that sort of celebrate his consumption and his partying, and you know, and, and, and there's a kind of schizophrenia in the film that I think undermines its ability to make the character as interesting and complex and sympathetic as he, you know, is or was, and that's what I think the film tries to do.
2: One ethnic group or racial group playing off against another, it's very often around um, claims around masculinity, so um so that what what we see is a kind of phenomena of a, a a group that is um uh despised and um denigrated mm-hmm. say like jewish americans uh who then mm-hmm. later on claim a, a masculinity pre- kind like of celebration of Jewish gangster figures and once upon a time in america would be a kind of perfect example of that that playing mm-hmm. out or the characters like historical characters like arnold Rothstein or sexy Siegel, and so there's a kind of looking to the the gangster figure as, as a masculine role model, if you like, recognizing that mm-hmm. you know that they're transgressive figures, but finding uh, something of value in that, that transgression.
0: And, and also in, in all of the American gangster films, right? There's always just the issue of, of what it means to be American. How does one become American? And and who has a, who has a better right to be American? What is the right path to becoming American?
1: Essentially, we've talked about how group identities are related to intersectional identities of gender, race, and class, but at the end of the day, the general trajectory, the story that American gangster films in particular tell is, well, how how immigrants or how disenfranchised people can make it in America. In doing so, I think it gives us a sense of It's the desires and hopes and aspirations of American culture, as well as its fears and anxieties. So I'm wondering now if there's anything else uh, around gender, race, or class that makes the gangster film distinctive.
0: Capitalism is a sort of defining attribute that is also part of the portability of the gangster genre as well. So it can go to other nations like other spaces, Hong Kong or South Korea or something. And, and, you know, clearly what's being, what's, what's at stake there is, you know, in a different space, in a different space and place. It's still about one person's identity in a highly, highly capitalist environment.
2: I think that's certainly true. A well-known line in uh, uh, John Houston's The uh, Ashfield Jungle, where uh, the Lewis Calhoun character, who's a co- corrupt figure, uh, says that uh, crime is only a left-handed form of human endeavor. Which is that? Which is to say that you know that the gangster film shows that you know the dark side of the mirror of of American capitalism and that what it's actually doing is following through on all of the precepts of you know what it is to aspire and to prove oneself, but to do it in the, in the most expedient manner possible, given the limited resources you have coming from where you you are coming from. Of course, the, the story then punishes the. Uh, the protagonist terribly at the end, but um, but I, I do so. I do think it tells us something about uh, um, capitalism and the particularly American forms of capitalism. Yeah.
1: Okay. So essentially, the American dream is a capitalist dream, but I think from what Karen's saying, the gangster films are translatable to other film cultures, particularly if those film cultures are also embedded in capitalist societies. Is that? Yeah.
0: And what's interesting, a lot of times, like I think a lot of times. The gangster films, right? Like they're all, you know, interested in these sort of like the play of the individual and certain types of prescriptive codes, whether they're moral codes or familial codes or, you know, mob codes or something like that. But these codes, like, all exist, you know, in tension with or in collaboration with this capitalist dynamic, right? And so, you know, in something like the Godfather films, you have this tension between the mercantilist capitalism of like the old, you know, the family versus like a new style capitalism of the younger generation, younger gangsters that we see in Scorsese or something. In the Hong Kong case, we see in these films, right, this tension between capitalism and old world values and the triads or something. And a lot of times the dramatic uh, tension within the film often or within the narrative often lies in the relationship or the tension between capitalism and other other moral, um, other prescriptive codes that these individuals um, inhabit.
2: I think in the um uh, in terms of um, uh, British gangster movies, what's interesting is that the, they don't replicate the American version. The British gangster never escapes their class.
1: So let's talk about this theme of mobility. So in British culture, class mobility is not as easily to come by as it seems to be in the U.S. But I think the other, I guess, distinctive, uh, I. Iconographic features of at least classic Hollywood gangster films has been around sort of technologies that allow for better physical mobility. Here I'm thinking about the automobile or the telephone or, or you know the trams and the streetcars that you see, especially with the coming of synchronized sound, where you also hear all these technologies. So the other big technology that comes up in gangster films, of course, is the gun.
2: Mm-hmm. So, is
1: there something about the gun that speaks to what we've already been talking about in terms of uh, reinforcing ideals around masculinity, class, and uh, perhaps also reinforcing fears against certain ethnic racial classes. Uh, how central is the gun to the performance of gangsterism in Hollywood films or beyond?
0: So the gun, which, of course, we're getting from the Western genre or the Western tradition that precedes it, as, as you have noted before, right? The gun is this quintessential you know, technology of violence that's totally consumable, right? You just have to acquire it right and then it it makes possible incredible amounts of violence with relatively little skill right and so the gun becomes the perfect symbol i mean of of course it's historically accurate it makes sense you know because of the sort of gang history in the u.s in the 30s and like that but it's also sort of symbolically important precisely because it is this relatively accessible form of technology a technological form of violence that's easily appropriated by individuals to invert the uh, access of power.
2: There's a lovely um, image of this in um, uh, Shirley Clark's Cool World, which is um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: set in a, a New York African-American ghetto. And um, the very young protagonist who wants to show that he's... Um, he has credibility as the leader of his gang. Needs to acquire a pistol, and 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 the, and the story really is about the acquisition of that pistol. And of course, it, as the film develops, we find out that it doesn't really give him any control or any greater authority, or uh, certainly no, not over, over his own world. So I think that gun will very often be quite literally uh, centred in that kind of way within the uh, the gangster the gangster movie, and and in the there's a cycle of 1950s films that are based on um uh, 1920s 1930s uh historical gangster figures of baby Fess, nelson um bridge boy floyd and bonnie and clyde and and, and so forth and what's kind of interesting about that th- th- these films is that they they're, they're a real mix of uh films that are responding to uh about environmental explanations for why these characters uh, Why do gangsters go bad? But also um, psychological ones. The pathologicalization of the gangster, and very often they use a very kind of crude, caricatured uh, Freudianism in order to to define these gangsters. And of course, Machine Gun Kelly with the, becomes the kind of the perfect embodiment of the gangster and the gun and the phallus. Um, and of course. In, in, in this Roger Corman film, he, he's shown to be completely impotent. He, he, mm-hmm. He's a punk. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, so, you know, it's, but, but it's the acquisition of the gun always as giving oneself some sort of agent uh, control, or at least the belief that one has control over the world to one. Yeah. You know,
0: Foucault talks about the guillotine as the sort of zero degree of violence, right? It was like the technology that the state invents to completely erase its response, you know, account, its, its like physical relationship to the violence that it enact. So the gun is the intense antithesis of that, right? It's a 20th century version, the individual's capacity for violence, right? And also a distinctly American, you know, symbol as well.
1: Should we be worried about the effects that gangster films might have on particular audiences? I mean, we've already talked about how audience identification is rather complicated when it comes to thinking Mm -hmm. through representations of races and ethnicities in these films, but are gangster films and their violence something that we should be concerned with, something that we should perhaps censor?
0: This is a Uh, sort of time-honored debate over screen violence. (laughs) Yes, I
1: know.
2: (laughs) know, People like Tom Gunning looking at very early uh, silent crime movies right the way through to, say, The Wire, and so one of the ways I think about um, the films are always doing is that they're kind of surveying themselves and that and they survey their own um, violent impulses so that they're very, violence is always very carefully contextualized um, very carefully um, positioned so that we're never without a kind of, uh, we're never left without a moral compass, I think, with these things, even something as horrendously violent as um, is uh, good Goodfellows. We still have a moral compass that we're able to uh, use to orientate ourselves uh, through the through the narrative. And of course, mm-hmm. in something like um, Tarantino, the violence is so comic book-like; it's so removed from any kind of anything real. It's simply film violence, talking about film violence. That um, mm-hmm. again, I think it's, it's it's surveyed and it's it's looked at and, and understood in those kind of contexts.
1: The gangster film genre tends to generate quite a bit of moral panic by itself, Uh, not only in the 1930s, which led to the, I think, 1934 Production Code Administration Standards, which effectively led to a moratorium on the production of gangster films in the 1930s, uh, but also when Gangster films became gangsta films in the late 1980s to mid-1990s centering sort of on african-american Gangster figures that led to another moral panic if we look at hong kong and a better tomorrow uh, It's graphic violence. I think finally led to some discussions about Mm -hmm. rating systems and so it's an interesting thing that with the gun comes displays of violence which then generate these various moral panics. But I think uh, what's interesting to know coming out of this is, um, I think, Karen's point that there's something about this genre that speaks to different film cultures and that will persist. Are there any other gangster films outside of Hollywood that might shed some light on how these films are tied to cultural myths, that these gangsters are, at the end of the day, these mythic and cultural figures uh, on which we project our hopes and fears.
0: Well, you know, of course, the case that I'm most familiar with is, you know, in the Hong Kong um, cinema. And of course, you know, as I've alluded to earlier, right, of, you know, you have this moment in 1986 with A Better Tomorrow, which is just a revelation in the industry for an already vibrant and dynamic and prolific industry. And it produces this, you know, responsive score, dozens of imitations, right? That then becomes, you know, um, a sign, not just locally, but also globally, of the vitality of Hong Kong film. And so the, the, the Incheonpan genre, which subgenre which develops in response, you know, as these these cycle of imitations around a better tomorrow, right, is read globally as a sort of familiar gangster film, but it also has distinct local iterations or significance in Hong, Ch- Hong Kong in terms of its relationship to the triad, this sort of like Wu legacy of you know the uh, tension between modernity and traditional chivalric values. In the Hong Kong case, we have you know, that we have this example of a of a very successful and very often very Hollywood self consciously Hollywood modeled film industry, you know, taking up, adapting and transforming a film a global film genre, you know, very much initially articulated by Hollywood, but given its own sort of distinction and vitality, that then of course travels you know, back to Hollywood and across the globe with the sort of Tarantino imitations and influences, and subsequently in South Korea with the Hollywood um, phenomenon in the um, 90s and um, and the 00s. Uh, the Hong Kong cinema is, is a particularly sort of rich example, as you know, of the sort of vitality of the gangster tradition as it's appropriated within under within other industries. But of course, it's it's. It's the most, it's the most visible one of which there are many, there's examples in Jamaica, in Morocco, I've already said South Korea. So I think, you know, any place that has, so as long as you have a film industry of a certain critical mass, there's, there's going to be a sort of engagement with the, the gangster genre because it's such a recognizable formula.
1: I feel like, Karen, do you know the Young and Dangerous series had more roles for sort of female triad members? I seem to.
0: There were two female, um, played by, um, I think Karen Mock and Sheree Chung, maybe. Um, Karen Mock, I think, was definitely one of them. Um, but you know, the, the Young and Dangerous series, as I said earlier, was, you know, was a different moment in the Hong Kong industry and, um, there's really this attempt to try and sort of make a gangster movie that wasn't centered around a a huge star in the way that the Ying Xiong Pen films were, you know, in the shadow of Chaoyang Fat. And so with Young and Dangerous series, it was a bunch of Young, younger stars, it was an ensemble cast no nobody the 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 narrative was spread out between all of the characters, and so I think the ensemble cast and the 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 younger actors sort of at the time sort of b list actors or you know people who who weren 't huge stars yet was a sort of uh, rejection of the preceding um, formula. Um, and so the inclusion of female characters who did, they weren't, they weren't sort of the passive characters, the passive women that you get in John Liu films. That was, you could argue, part of it, a symptom of that sort of generic transformation in, in that series. But, you know, the gangster genre, as, as all of we, all of us have said, right, remains this profoundly sort of masculinist genre. So, I don't know, offhand, I can't even think, um, I can't think of that many in Hong Kong. I mean a lot of times they tend to be sort of exploitation films,
2: right? I mean, I think American dramas, the female figure has a much uh, uh, stronger presence within um, television series. So Sons of Anarchy or Sopranos or more melodramatic, where the family is really at the center of the story.
0: uh, Yeah. Orange is the new black, you know, it's not a gangster. You know, a film that's set in a prison, but in many ways, you could say that it's sort of taking mm. up that um, formula of like a group group identity and the ways which way you know, like outsider, criminologically like identifying mm. characters, uh, right? Yeah, you know, and in this yeah. case, it's all it's it's all women, right? It's a lot of minorities, right? And, and so, if you're looking for a sort of an example uh, in something in popular culture right now that's sort of reworking these tropes, right? I think *Orange of the New, of the New Black* might be a possi- you know, one possible
2: example of what that in might no look
1: instances. like. One of the, I guess, more fun questions, is there a particular movie or TV show that defines the gangster genre for you at the moment?
2: No, I mean, I always think that in terms of influence, uh, the, the Godfather stands head and shoulders above everything until you start to look at the films following its wake and you realize very few of them actually do what it what it does, which is, you know, to build your story around it. A family saga i mean that's clearly where tv um has best replicated what the Godfather had to offer but what i for me i, I suppose uh, the, the defining uh modern gangster film would be um um mean streets and in the image of little italy and uh the the, the lowest rungs of the kind of uh, crime syndicate uh, the, the, the street punks, uh, so to, so to speak and i i, I see that one that's being endlessly replicated and returned to by uh, filmmakers, it's, it's become a kind of touchstone.
0: Well, I think for me, it's the work of Johnny To, the Hong Kong filmmaker, um, you know, he has been around forever, and his career really went this, through this massive transformation. He was a very commercial filmmaker since the 80s. And then, um, starting in the late 90s, he started just making highly individual films, I was very much interested in group identity. So a significant portion of the films are about gangs like election one and two, um, but they're also frequently movies about police groups, like like uh, units, like PTU, police tactical units, or uh, films about like the firefighters, like 1997's um, Lifeline. And I think this sort of like, the, the portability within his career of this recurrent interest in group identity that occasionally, that frequently manifests as gangsters, but also as the police. The current sustained interest on the part of this terror sort of to to explore the larger issues that the gang formula has been interested in, which is like how does the individual find his place within the group, and what is the place of the individual and the group within this capitalist environment that um, has its own Sort of pressures and um, and energies and pitfalls for um, individuals, and so even like some of his very recent films, like um, Drug War, which is actually set in mainland China, right? We, we see Johnny Depp sort of like taking these this sort of this generic thematic interest and, and placing it in different in different locations, right? So again sort of explore what are the um, the consequences. Of group identity and and criminal um, the the crime syndicate, you know, in these new spaces or these very um, manifestly urban and contemporary um, sort of hotspots.
1: I guess the reason I might bring this question up is uh, there was very recent news that they're going to remake Brian De Palma's 1983 Scarface, which itself was a remake of mm-hmm. the 1930s film Scarface. So it seems like somehow Scarface is perhaps. A very distinctive gangster film that will probably be remade three times before 2020 <laughs> in the history of gangster films and it certainly has charted perhaps different fears and anxieties around certain uh, racial groups because the original Scarface, Tony Camonte was an Italian-American in 1983 he was a Cuban immigrant and perhaps in 2018 he again will be a Cuban immigrant, right? So whenever we talk
0: about film today I think at this moment you just the 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 big question mark is China and the impact of China now being the world's biggest film market in terms of what movies are going to be made and what they're going to look like so this is particularly relevant for the gangster genre because for a movie to be released in China there are all of these preconditions about content you know what is permissible to be and to gain official sanction for exhibition in China and so one of those things in particular is that you know individuals or groups committing crimes must be shown to be punished, right? So for your film to be approved for exhibition in China, it has to conform with the um, mandates about narrative. And so when you think about the gangster genre, what is is one of the world's most globally recognized and enduring film genres going to look like, right? In a new um, world film market in which China is the biggest market that is transforming not just what is made regionally in Asia but
1: also changing what Hollywood makes as well. So what do you think that would look like when it comes to gangster films? It seems like uh, that particular Chinese regulation is another re-ins- like uh, reinstation of the Hollywood Production Code Administration that yeah. also required that crime be punished at all times when it regulated the contents of the silver screen. But do you think the I guess, racial ethnic identities of who gets represented as criminal might also change, because I'm here thinking about some Hong Kong films around the late 70s and mid-1980s, like Johnny Mac, mm-hmm. Long Arm of the Law, where it was mm-hmm. Mandarin-speaking, man-lined Chinese um, yeah. who were represented as these like really heavily armed, brutal killers that were involved in these more dangerous, large-scale, organized crime, Groups than even the local Hong Kong trials.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, you know, I, I write about this in in my current book, Arresting Cinema, that a film like Drug War is a complete inversion of Long Arm of the Law. So in Drug War, which is set in mainland China, the the bad guy is a Hong Kong drug trafficker, right, who's bringing drugs into China. The good guy is the relentless, you know. Um, Gong Godu with the um uh, china mainland police security Bureau drug cap drug and uh, narcotics officer captain right so it's here it now the Hong Kong guys are the bad guys, the mainlanders are the good guys, right and drug war ends astonishingly this with this protracted scene of an, of the execution of the criminal um, which is like what exactly what you're saying it's it's sort of performing the role of the square up that used to like be tacked on to the 30s gangster movies, like, you know, the scene that you were about to see, right, <laughs> you know, and, and like, you know, whatever, I don't remember, Peter probably knows, remember the the, the the language of that square up in Public Enemy, but, you know, right now, the gang gang movies, for a gang, gangster film in China to be shown, it has to have that kind of equivalent, right? And, you know, again, we all know how effective the square ups are. So you could argue that, you know, people bracket it, they forget it, that it's hard to undermine, you know, to counteract the, the glamorization of violence. But certainly it does, as you're pointing out, like transform who the, certainly who the villains are in these new films. Um, and I, I, I certainly think with China's rising nationalism, one of the kinds of, the villains that you repeatedly see now, and I think we're going to see a lot of, actually, at least in mainland Chinese films, are the Japanese in particular. And then, you know, what will be, what, and also what's really interesting, you know, for Western media that has, which has been dominant for a long, so long, increasingly we start to see, you know, um, the white guys or the Westerners as being the bad guys and not necessarily the heroes and the heroes, you know, have the face of what used to be the other. So if, as Peter was pointing out, Chinatown has historically been the most, Mysterious the most insidious the most inexplicable place. You know, as as Jack Nicholson says in Chinatown, right now in, in the twenty first century, we get these Chinese spaces as being portrayed as a spaces of law and order. So again, this complete the the arc of the genre. The genre has had its own sort of historical arc.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think um, I mean, what you're saying about the, um, the the Chinese market as as, as the key market. Oh. Uh, now and and, in for, and for the foreseeable future and how that determines what kind of gangster stories are going to be told is is is, is an uh, an echo uh, that we can see all the way across that is to say that you know filmmakers are not making these movies because they see that they're having some greater public good in in, in producing these stories of the uh, morality tales or didactic tales of of, of, of crime but because there's an audience out there that wants to see them. And, and I think in like in the 1950s cycle that I talked about earlier, uh, what, what what we saw there was um, th- these historical characters, Machine uh, Gun Kelly, uh, Babyface Nelson, were reworked in order to appeal to a 1950s youth demo- uh, demographic. That is, who was going to the cinema, uh, or at least who was going to drive-ins, and it was you know, young people, or at least a large number of young people were going to these cinemas, and therefore they made movies for that group uh, about mobile youth, whether it was horror movies, hot rod movies, or, or um, gangster movies. And in the 1970s with the Blaxploitation, movie, it wasn't because people suddenly thought, well, we need to start representing um, African-Americans on our screens, it was because large numbers of young African-Americans were going to run down in the city theaters before the multiplexes came into into play uh, and uh, so there was a demand and an audience for that for those stories and if other people go and see them then that's all, all all to the better but they have a very specific audience in mind and and I think that's true for all of the big cycles of gangster movies is that they're playing to a, 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 a recognizable demographic and um, and it's that demographic that will determine Uh, uh, what the gangster movie looks like and feels like and who it represents and how it represents uh, those various groups.
1: So Peter, I think what you're saying is absolutely dead on that gangster films, like any other commercial film, is made for a target audience and Mm. I'm certain that we're looking at an overall an aging population uh, that has gone to the movies and probably will continue to go to the movies. So what do you think gangster films would look like in the future to appeal to this kind of audience? Like, why don't we talk about the future of gangster films? Is there anything else left to rework uh, in the film genre itself? Is there, is the aging target demographic potentially going to change what we might see? Or are we looking at gangster films that are really, as they have always done, going to tell us about the modern, the present, where we are in our society.
2: Yeah, especially about that, the you know how it, how will play. So it, you know, there's obviously a nostalgia involved in that kind of bringing something back, and you could see that with the Untouchables in the. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember when it was brought out, but obviously it was a you know remake of the, the uh, late 1950s, early 1960s um, uh, television series, uh, uh, and. Um, it was extraordinary nostalgic for uh, for uh, America's criminal past. And I, I guess the same thing is true of um, Westerns, at least Westerns that focus on the figure of the outlaw, there is, a, again, a kind of um, nostalgia for those who made their way often violently uh, uh, through, through, through life. So um, what would be what would be reclaimed? What would be um, replayed for um, uh, Baby boom generation audience would be an that's kind of an interesting question. Um, I kind of one Say, probably um, Scorsese is doing it with every new film he makes. <laughs> but uh, 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 but yeah, so that would be that would be at least one way of thinking about it. I think
0: you mentioned. I think you mentioned right the sort of popularity of Homeland. I know in the questions you you brought you you meant, um, mentioned this as well, and I think that you know, the gangster genre has always existed in tension or in um, sort of collaboration with the procedural, right, as you've, as you've talked about as well. And I think I, um, nowadays the sort of popularity of film or TV series like Homeland, The Wire, Law and Order, CSI, um, 24, right, like it's, there's a sort of resurgence of the procedural and particularly sort of procedurals that have to do with surveillance, right, person of interest, right, as well. Right, that obviously this reflects our sort of historical moment, the post 9-11 age of terror um, moment where, you know, maybe you, one, one might say that uh, the glamour of the gangster maybe has tarnished a little bit in the midst of our paranoia about um, terrorism and uh, the state of state of our national security, right? And so now that there's a there's sort of fascination with surveillance that... Um, is particularly visible, not just in television, but also in film. And so I think what we'll continue to see, right, is this ongoing sort of reworking of you know, this engagement with the procedural, you know, maybe that um, takes up some of the, uh, Peter was saying it's a sort of audience demand that might previously have been, you know, available for, for gang film. Thanks again to Anita Lamb, Dr. Karen Fang, and Peter Stanfield for participating in this episode of the Oxford Comment. If you'd like to listen to more episodes, you can find the Oxford Comment on SoundCloud, iTunes, and of course, the OUP blog. Thanks for listening.